Hi, hello, this is Clinton and Hillary, and welcome to Black Atlantic, a podcasting media channel bringing East Coast voices to the world. This week, we are going to be talking about a report that we have been waiting well over a year, maybe close to two, to hear about. Uh, This is the final report issued by the New Brunswick Commissioner on Systemic Racism. I stopped dancing early because I knew I, I intentionally it, like, kept dancing because I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do of it every course. Yeah. Um so like Clinton mentioned, we've been waiting for this for a very, very long time. I think if you are a regular is regular listener to this podcast, you know that I have been very passionate about my feelings on this report and this process because of how long it has taken to finally get to hear the published report. So to throw it back. In March of 2020? Yes? Yes. 2021. Does that make sense? I guess that does make sense. We're about to be 2023. March of 2021. Exactly. um, The Premier's office, Blaine Higgs, announced that um, this would be the first of its kind, having a commissioner on systemic racism, the first province to ever do it. Um, And we were very concerned and skeptical about the person who would be hired and what that hiring process would look like. A very, very long several months later, in September of 2021, when the same week that Justin Trudeau was re-elected as uh, Prime Minister of our country, he finally announced that they had chosen uh, Manju Varma, um, a woman of color, and I think we were slightly shocked that it was not a white man and that it seemed to be going the way that it should go. Um, of course, because it took that long um, to to hire and appoint Manju Varma as the Commissioner on Systemic Racism, uh, he had to grant an extension for the, um, for the final report's publication because it was only supposed to be a year mandate. So not only did he end up pushing it, but the mandate ended up being a 15-month long project as outlined in the report. And um, I think we're ready to sort of jump into our feelings, although I will say um, you may these may be repeat feelings because we were uh, granted access to discuss this on the radio this morning, although I'll spoil. We're talking about it the night before. <laughs> so, so this is our little preamble to see in a way like what we're going to be saying to CBC and more and extrapolate further. And it might not be this morning for you. It depends on when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, so we are streaming on all your favorite streaming platforms. Also make sure to follow Black Atlantic on all your socials. Uh, and we also broadcast on CHMA FM, uh, Mount Allison University, broadcasting out of Sackville, New Brunswick. Um, so yeah, we have literally been waiting for this report since March of 2021. They were supposed to hire someone by May. They didn't announce the person they hired until September giving her only about three months to (laughs) make her report. They extended that to be six months, I believe. And then in the end, I think it took her about a year. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, well, because three months from September. Yeah, because they went from three months would have been the end of 2021. They gave her a full 15 months. So they gave her those three months and then the entire year because she breaks down the the outline in it in the end. (laughs) 
So a lot of interesting things happened while she was preparing the report. Uh, Manju Varma and who is her uh, who is her right hand person? Hold uh, on, Junior Kalala, yes. I believe. Yes. I please make sure I'm not uh, getting any part of that name wrong. Um, yeah, so there was lots of drama throughout the whole course. Um, she started a podcast. She PEI took a huge interest in her, and it's for a while she seemed <laughs> for, to the public eye more focused on PEI than New Brunswick. Um, one of her top team members, who was also a member of the Indigenous community, stepped down and had some quite harsh words regarding the way that the report was being controlled, what they were allowed to say and not say. Uh, that kind of got pushed under the rug. Uh, but finally, we have this report. It was a 45-page report in total, probably about, what would you say, 30 pages worth of reading, um, in which 86 recommendations were made. Um, as well as a lot of uh, summaries of this, that, uh, highlights and sort of going overs of what she discussed throughout the report. And um, I'll get into, I, I got more to say on the breakdown. Do you want to, do you want to jump in? Well, sure. Where do you want to, do you want to click on what we're starting with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I will. Like just For, initial impressions? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I basically my initial impression is that you know um this was a summary of what myself and hillary and all the people we've interviewed and all the people in our communities have been talking about for two years put on paper uh, and presented um basically my gist of what i got from it is uh, you know everyone in power is still white uh most people in power and leadership deny what deny systemic racism exists, but when asked to define it, they can't. So the big question is, how can you deny what you can't even define? Um, immigrants are treated like products and not people. Uh, the indigenous people continue to get the short end of every stick. Uh, they are probably the most oppressed people in all of Canada. Um, there is no lack of communication between governments. And the leadership in this province is mostly hostile towards the concept of change in general. Uh, what I heard repeated numerous times throughout the report, uh, because a lot of it is anecdotal, uh, am I saying? is that collecting race-based data in multiple fronts and, and multiple categories is the best way to put fact to all of these stories that we know to be true, to put scientific data to all of the stories that we know to be true. Am I frozen? Your video has been frozen almost the entire time, but I can still hear you. And in my history with Restream, it tends to just come back. Am I frozen in a really like embarrassing way? You're doing. So it looks like you're, well, now you're gone. No, I'm here. I'm here and I'm gone. I I'm didn't just trying to fix it. Some stuff. I, 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 you got to interrupt me next time if I'm frozen like that. Well, it's because in my, well, now you're, well, there, see, look, be, since we can fix it, why would I make you stop your point? Because this is still also an audio podcast. I don't know that it's fixed. I, okay. We, we are having way too many technical difficulties. It's like, we're not supposed to do this. <laughs> no, no. But we are. Let's, let's keep going. You give your summary while I mess around with this. I might even jump out and come back. Absolutely. I'll just keep going. I don't going. think that's going to wreck the recording. So hold on. You think it is going to wreck it? I don't think it is. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to keep going. Oh, of course, my phone's singing. I'm going to keep going. Um, What I think in terms of the summary was that a lot of it was unsurprising. What I will say in comparison to what Clinton said that I don't fully agree with. <laughs> Are you back? I just keep going. I'll figure okay. it out. 
Well, because I'm trying to say that I didn't fully agree with you about one thing. Um, yes, okay. My only thing was that um, while it is a reflection of everything that we've been saying for two years, it's a reflection of what we as Black people have been feeling for, at least for me, about 23 years of my life. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it was validating. It was nice to hear. Um, I thought that the anecdotes were important because I feel like they could encourage empathy um, from people who might just see statistics and just see Black people, newcomers, BIPOC people, anyone racially uh, marginalized as just a number and a statistic. Um, and I think a lot of those anecdotes were really important. Um, and I, we're going to get more into it, but I do think that the um, a lot of just the points that centered around simply educating the people in power are so were so frustrating to me because they have the resources, the money, the everything, and yet they are the people who apparent. Well, they're the people who are it seems the most racist and the ones who could be doing and fixing the systems, but they're not fixing the systems because the systems are rigged for them. Um, so by and large, though, I felt like the report was good. I agreed with all of the recommendations because I'm not going to say you shouldn't recommend that. I feel like there could have been more um, and that they could have been, I don't know if harsher is the right word, but I do think that more could have been said than 86, but that's that. I certainly didn't want to give off the impression that I didn't think the anecdotal, how do you say that word? Anecdotal. 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 Oh my gosh. Information uh, wasn't important. It actually felt, yeah, it felt, it felt like you were being heard, right? It felt mm -hmm. like all the things that we have been saying now exist in an official government document. Um, mm -hmm that may or may not just sit on a shelf, but it, it was validating to read this. It, it, it felt like I was reading what it is you and I do in our podcast is hearing yep. people's stories and sharing people's stories of pain. So to any listener who thought that I, I didn't think it was important, I think it is incredibly important, but I guess what I was trying to say was that larger organizations, government-based bodies, big companies, they are not going to move to make any changes they are not going to spend money to restructure the way their systems work their organizations work who they put in uh, positions of importance and stuff like that just based on hearing people's stories uh, organizations like that they want to see scientific fact-based data otherwise they're going to say like oh well that's this person's story they may gaslight it they made this that or the other but when you collect these stats when you collect okay how many people of color were turned away at the emergency ward uh and it turned out to be a really serious thing compared to people who weren't how many people did police pull over how many people were denied accesses to service how I, just this is not race-based data but one good example is okay Ukrainians come to New Brunswick, they get a license. Uh, Syrian people come to New Brunswick, they don't get a license. You know, Ukrainians come to New Brunswick, um, they're able to work more in their field. Let's even let's take the hair industry for example. People from Afghanistan or Syria come to the country to New Brunswick. They are not allowed to get their licenses. They they they're not believed that they can do these services. Whereas people from other countries are. That is a sort of data that you can look at and be like. There's an imbalance here. This is wrong. That's the kind of data that I think needs to be collected. And until the government 
Are you just looking at my, are you laughing at my circle getting bigger and smaller? <laughs> no, ironically, ag- so I was going to say ironically enough, someone just uh, texted me about uh, us talking about this conversation and said like, mm-hmm. look at you guys changing the outcome of New Brunswick. Hey, well, we are <laughs> indirectly referenced in that. Uh, and we that, are, and I mean, we can talk about this later when we get to that this point, but we are directly influencing and impacting change that is directly related to some of the recommendations and i feel prouder about that but go on i'm done i'm trying to get my camera to work okay what i will say to your um to your point it's like i to be fair i got a little distracted because of your your video come like <laughs> falling apart and so i didn't actually hear what you said about the anecdotal stuff but it was purely a reflection of myself that i feel like without anecdotes without something that humanizes people's trauma i don't think white politicians can understand like something that says like 76 percent of people think that the and i'm making the statistic up that you know the police should be abolished that doesn't mean anything but when you have someone literally saying you know the cops um, pulled me over for a made-up reason handcuffed me yada 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 you would hope that that would move something within somebody as opposed to just numbers. You would hope people would just stop in general, but that's not the world that we live in. I hear you. Yeah, well, that's what I meant. Maybe, yeah, maybe you didn't hear part of what I said, uh, and that's fine. Um, but, well, I know that race-based data and statistics have helped make major changes in places sure. like Toronto and Halifax and stuff like that. Yes. I just don't think that, uh, let me just take a random thing, like a 65-year-old white man in power of a multi-million dollar company is going to hear a story of a minority um being treated badly in the lower levels of their uh, company. And just because of hearing that story, not be like, oh, well, there must have been this, or there must have been this reason for that, or maybe they're Mm -hmm. over-exaggerating or something like that. However, if you have data that says that it's happened to like a thousand people, a hundred people in this exact same way, in this same department or at this bank, maybe you can take action. Absolutely. I, I do, no, I fully agree with that statement. Yeah. Um, okay. Should we get into the breakdown of stuff? Absolutely. So, Perfect. so one of the first headers in discussion of uh, Manju's report on systemic racism is the education and the awareness of systemic racism. Um, and what I found, I guess, the most disappointing of the whole report is this section because what the recommendations outline is the fact that the politicians and the people in power do not seem to even have a grasp or understanding of what systemic racism is, yet a lot of the people in power continue to deny that it even exists. So it's very weird that they are trying to deny something that they don't fully understand. And it's also frustrating because these are the people in charge of the province who have resources at their disposal to do the work if they wanted to fully connect with and understand the people that make up and comprise the population of their province, but they just haven't. They just haven't. They hired Manju, but they don't even want to look up what her job is for. Clinton, what do you think? Absolutely. Like I said in the beginning, like how can you deny what you can't define? Uh, There is definitely a difference between systemic racism and overt racism. And in the same way where you might have individuals in the province be like, I'm not racist. I've got black friends. Or I'm not racist. I never use the N-word. Or I'm not racist. I think everyone is equal. Uh, Stuff like that. Um, It's good to think everyone is equal. 
that doesn't mean you're not racist. It doesn't mean you don't have negative bias. It doesn't mean you don't have prejudice. It doesn't mean that if you had to pick between, you know, a white woman in her 30s and a black guy and try to guess who you think broke into your car, that you wouldn't automatically pick the black person. Um, so there's overt racism and systemic racism and what people don't understand that even if you are not out on lawns burning crosses if you are in a position of power or a position of influence where you can use subconscious biases negative biases or even negative stereotypes that might make you have patience with one person over another person that you can use that influence to oppress hold back or suppress groups of people if you are a doctor who thinks that, or a nurse who thinks that all indigenous people are drug addicts and alcoholics, um, then when an indigenous person shows up to your triage at a at a hospital emergency ward, you may not take that person as seriously. You may pass judgments on them. You may think they're on drugs, or you may think just a whole number of other different things. Um, for people in power to not take the time to do the research, the, they can't be aware of what systemic racism is, which is exactly the reason that they deny it. As a society, people get so offended at the idea of being called racist, they won't even take the time to examine themselves and learn what these definitions truly mean. There's this resistance, there's this wall that builds up, and um, within the report, Manju cites numerous occasions in which leaders and leadership in the GNB and other organizations who adherently, abhorrently denied uh, that systemic racism exists, when doing a quiz, um, I believe only eight or nine percent of the people that did that were able to even define what it was to begin with. So again, how can you deny what you can't define? Uh, that is a big place uh, that stems of where the problem starts. Um, and I will say that um, what I would personally, like my personal definition of systemic racism would be um, it's racism that's inherently in the systems that are in place in policy and in infrastructure, because all of those things were built in a time where BIPOC people, newcomers, Indigenous people, queer people, anybody who can be marginalized was not necessarily considered as valuable of a human as the white man. And therefore, these systems, without even seeming racist, have what we call but hate to define as microaggressions, because that's the way that these systems, laws, policies were written at that time. Um, and they benefit the people in power. So if something's benefiting you, why would you necessarily want to rewrite it or change it to make it more equitable if you know you are going to be losing out some of the slice of that pie, even though you still get pie? Like, that's, I think, the most frustrating thing of all of it is it's sacrificing a little, but that means a lot to someone who's already disenfranchised. Um, yeah. So I was going to um, pivot slightly now, unless you had more to say, and actually read some of the recommendations that I found interesting. Well, I will read the mm -hmm. definition of systemic racism as sure. indicated in the report. Um, so systemic racism can be described as patterns of behavior, policies, or practices 
within unquestioned structures of institutions that create and perpetuate disadvantages for racialized persons. It results from the unintended and often unconscious consequences of, quote unquote, the normal way of doing things, thus having a negative impact on racialized persons. Systemic racism does not mean that people are overtly racist. More accurately, it speaks to structural and institutional systems rather than individual biases and behaviors, meaning that, you know, society was created for white people. Um, these large systems, such as education, justice, health, and employment, impact the way we live, who gets to make social decisions, what is considered just, just and who gets to define normal. Uh, last sentence, systemic racism is so normalized that the majority and often the minority neither notice it or question it. Um, that's it. Perfect. Um, and I will point out that, like, it's, I, I think that it's perfect to you know reiterate that it is like it is supposed to be unintentional there's not i i think that when people think of racism and something i i feel like we've tried to dismantle a bit on our podcast is the idea that like with racism comes blame even if you know it's like racist history in your family or or systemic i've found in my history of talking about racism that white people often get so uncomfortable because they think that they're at fault even if they haven't been the one to directly say something like yeah. let's say the n-word they're they're afraid of this quote-unquote taboo discussion about race but the the onus isn't even there because you none of the people in power right now actually created the system they're just still benefiting from it so to own up to yep. the fact and say that there is systemic racism doesn't mean that you are to blame it just means that you have to do something to change it if you're going to acknowledge it i'll use a perfect example uh so we, <laughs> with our new podcast we are broadcasting on a platform called Restream, which is a system. It's designed. Now, it's been glitchy and it's been buggy and it hasn't been working for us. And we are trying to figure out what is wrong with it and fix it. Um, if the system that we are using worked perfectly for us, we would not be thinking about the system. We would simply be existing within it, happily recording our episode. But you only notice that a system is broken when it's not working for you. So when the system is not working for people, they notice it. For everyone else who it works for, they're not even aware that, that, that there is a system underlying the society that we live in. Society is built on systems. It is weird that the people that we've talked to about this system really like it, but we're both black and it's giving us a hard time. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, um, some, of my, some of the recommendations I no noted at least um were did i scroll past the one i wanted to read probably there was one specifically about like um protecting whistleblowers or people who um are complaining about lack of career promotion mechanisms to report discrimination at gnb um having more inclusive and anti-discriminatory communication training for gmb that those were recommendations seven and eight um one that surprised me that maybe shouldn't have been so shocking was recommendation 15 to terminate the agreement with the canadian border service agency oh my that allows imp oh my imprisonment yes. of migrants and refugees because i yep. didn't think that just based on paperwork we could throw them in literal prison and yep. that baffled me to read you too eh? yeah absolutely shocked um and then I also wrote down number 17 on a piece of paper, um, creating public education initiatives to decrease the divide between 
Oh, between Francophone and Anglophone communities. I wrote that down because at the time I was very confused as to, um, and I even talked to you about this, if it had anything to do with Acadians. Um, and I mean, there is a bit more on this later when we get to the other points about um, immigrants that come from Black communities. But I did find it really interesting, the discussion between how language can be traumatizing if you come from a colonized country that is was colonized by the French. And that is a thought I never had, even though my dad is from a Black French country, Senegal. Um, and so I found that really compelling that a Black French person could be traumatized by how passionate Acadians are about their Frenchness. And, and then, you know, we're having these language issues with immersion, with inclusivity between the Anglophones and the Francophones. And so it's so nuanced and layered and difficult on top of the other languages that are being brought in, spoken, that have always been there, like Indigenous languages. So it's very interesting. Anything yes. else? Yes, so recommendation 15 was probably one of two of the most shocking things in this entire report. The idea uh, and the revelation that New Brunswick has an agreement with the Canada Border Service Aids Agency uh, allowing provinces to imprison migrants ref or refugees based on administrative reasons and that this is actually a practice that violates international law and that groups have been lobbying for New Brunswick to stop doing this for years similar to uh, I believe provinces like BC and possibly Quebec that were doing this in the past and then stopped. Um, the second while we're on the topic most shocking and I would say painful part of reading this report is recommendation 14 uh, regarding um, children of immigrants and their access to school, the legislation between the Anglophone and Francophone and the interpretation mm -hmm. of the documents, and the fact that um, there were 53 children in New Brunswick who were not allowed to have free access to public schools. Yet before these parents came, came here, uh, they were not informed of any of these kinds of situations uh, existing. And the fact that in some of these cases, because families could not get their children into public schools, these newcomers, um, and some people don't like that term, but these people who came to New Brunswick had to send their children back to their home country while they stayed here. Uh, imagine coming to the land of opportunity uh, to be dicked around and have to end up sending your children back home and the kind of mental health issues that would create for a parent as well as these children uh, and that kind of isolate isolating feeling giving up everything you know leaving friends and family and probably a good job to come here and uh, learn that no you can't be a doctor you have to drive a taxi you can't be uh, you can't work in your field with your phd you have to sweep floors um, anyways the idea that children are coming to new brunswick and then having to go back to their home country because they're not even allowed access to free public education. Of course. And I will use what you said to serve as a reminder that a lot of people, and I don't know how many of them are, would be the type of people to listen to this podcast. A lot of people think that no matter where you are coming from, if you're coming to Canada, it is because you're leaving behind something much worse. Yeah, and that isn't always the case. Sometimes, you know, the jobs are good, the life is affluent, but it's just about, you know, maybe one safety issue, or maybe it is about education, but there is still money there. It's not, not everything is a desolate land of rubble, and you're leaving it for Canada. A lot of people do make sacrifices to come here, and then don't realize that they are sacrificing 
even more than they bargained for to come here. And I can't imagine that reality of one of those things being sending my kid back to the place I was probably trying to save them from because most parents are quite selfless and think about their kids before themselves. Yeah. And let's not, let's not forget that it's also marketing. A lot of the people that come here were marketed to the government invested millions of dollars over the past decade to try to save their failing province and their failing economy and bring immigrants here. Like if you want someone to go to your business or buy your product, you market to them. And that's what happened here. So they were marketed to, they weren't given the full scope of information of what their life would be like if they came here. Uh, And not only are you bringing highly educated, highly qualified people here, um, you're plucking the best of the best from other countries, which yes. in effect is hurting those other countries' economies yeah. and stuff here. It's not even that every piece people are necessarily leaving something horrible. They were just sold on the promise of something even better than what they had, only to come here, have less, and leaving their country with less highly qualified, educated people. Absolutely. So it's a, on um, two fronts, it's an attack on people of color. Absolutely. Sorry, absolutely. not only people of color, but immigrants in general. Not all immigrants that come here, not all newcomers that come here are people of that, color, as we know with the Ukraine and stuff like that. Valid. Um, the next topic in um, the order of the report, sorry, I, the word report evaded me, um, is the healthcare system. Um, mm-hmm. I can start with the one thing that, like, irked me the most but it is something i think from now until the end of the report i will blanket statement say i agree with all the recommendations i don't think you like that there's anything that shouldn't have been recommended but what i will say one of the recommendations and i don't know the number at this very instance but the recommendation to and actually this is in the other one as well in the education of systemic racism all of the collating of race-based data specifically within the healthcare system. I laughed out loud the minute that I read about collating data for for the healthcare system because people continue to die in the ER waiting to be seen, some of them racialized, and I don't think that funds are going to be allocated to collate race-based data before they should be allocated to save lives. I think this one infrastructure is hurting so badly across the whole country, but specifically in New Brunswick, that I don't know at what point that recommendation would ever be fulfilled because I don't believe that collecting that type of data is anywhere in you know the top 10 things that people in the healthcare system would do if they had the money. I think that they would save more people's lives first. And I will also point out that Um, what I appreciated, and I think there might even be an anecdotal quote, but it reminded me that people still think that collecting race-based data is racist because of separating people in different camps to learn about them. But in my mind, it's the same thing as saying that race, uh, critical race theory in the States is racist to teach. It's not. Learning about, you know, medical conditions or the patterns 
of let's say specifically black people or indigenous people or any group of people only helps you serve them better it's not racist to look into that it is going to benefit them in the long run um i I'm working for the canadian association of community health centers we have the only fully black community health center here in ontario and they are raved about because they have black doctors that care for a black community and they are able to understand and find issues in, in blood work that white doctors may not because they don't even know what to look for. So race-based data is extremely important. It is not racist to look for. Absolutely. <clears throat> I don't have any information regarding the costs involved in collecting race-based data, but I have a hunch that it wouldn't cost very much. It, it, when you go to a triage or a hospital, they take information on you. I feel like it would just be check in a box almost, uh, adding it to a form, adding a box to a digital form, something that gets filled out, and then you you have the data moving forward. I, I don't know about going back and collecting data, how that would work, but I don't think collecting uh, one more piece of data would be really expensive. If it was, I agree with you. Um, there are other things to put money towards. And as we know, the New Brunswick government is, has somewhat something close to a billion dollar surplus uh, to begin with. Um, on the topic of health, and I think I alluded to this, again, none of this is going to be news to the communities that we chat within. But, you know, for years, for as long as I've been here, maybe 10, 13 years, there have been numerous complaints about basically what I just said. We have doctors and nurses and people who can work in healthcare who come to this province and they're foreign and are told that they will be able to find work in their field. Yet when they arrive, they are then told that their foreign credentials are not recognized. Uh, this has been, there has been a report in the past. Um, saying this needs to be changed. Nothing was done about it. Um, these people are being racially withheld from being able to practice in their field. Nothing was done about this until a labor crisis developed in the health sector that started to affect, just going to say it, white New Brunswickers. As soon as white New Brunswickers started to be impacted, as soon as white New Brunswickers were not getting uh, the access to health care that they used to get when they were dying, when there was a labor shortage, then finally talks began to happen about how can we recognize these foreign credentials and have the qualified people that have been coming here for decades work in the field they were trained in? How can we bridge whatever training might be different in other countries and allow them to do that? So even though positive changes are being made for minorities and people of color, it doesn't appear that they were being made to benefit minorities or people of color, but to benefit the white New Brunswickers that we're suffering. Um, I, I'll take a moment to say that throughout this document, there are, more, there are moments of praise and uh, 
acknowledgement of organizations working to make change, wanting to make change on their own, even within police forces, within every industry, there are organizations that passionately want to make change to make this a more positive province for for people of color. Um, way outweighed by the people who are resistant, but it is there. If, you, if I only say this once throughout the whole episode, it is there. Um, but the lack of healthcare and, and the way that now, only now, during this crisis, uh, are people of color's foreign credentials starting to be even considered is still in a way racist. Absolutely. What I will say is that uh, like the way that Manju wrote the report, obviously when she like the section on health is about the health of the people like racialized people and not so much about like that would be fall under employment. But I fully agree that hiring people in the healthcare sector of all colors, shapes, sizes based on their education level is important. And absolutely it's, um, I'll say it's ironic that it took COVID to start to make these changes and that immediately after some of the most, uh, the, uh, bigger, the biggest group of people immediately after that immigrating to Canada were white Ukrainians. And so I, they didn't have to, not that I would want anyone to suffer in the same way, but there have been immigrants here with these, this skill set just waiting this entire time for this opportunity to work in these fields. Um, some of the other recommendations in healthcare that I jotted down and noted um, was having health authorities work closely with other health advocates associated with racialized and indigenous communities, which I think is obviously really important. Developing culturally appropriate responses to physical and mental health issues, I think is huge because we've talked before and I've talked about it in my own therapy process, how the trauma of racism impacts so many other things. And it's much easier and more comfortable to discuss those things with someone who looks like you and that that representation is important. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know of any racialized or black therapists that live in New Brunswick proper. We've spoken to Stacey Dark, who I believe still lives in Nova Scotia, though she may have moved to New Brunswick. And if she does, highly, highly would like to recommend if you're looking for a black therapist. Um, but I do think that, you know, these sensitivities are are extremely important um and of course there's other recommendations include competency trainings um, and institutions to oversee the trainings to make sure that there is anti-racism material so that we're ensuring that the staff hired in healthcare institutions aren't racist yeah you're right i, I took my uh, section about health from the executive summary not from the health <laughs> section oh uh, yeah I'll, I'll support that clarification that the health section is about the health of the mental and physical health of people of color also yeah. in terms of since we're on the topic in terms of uh people of color black therapists there's also kayla Braylove from yes. Braylove Counseling Incorporated, who is based out of New Brunswick as well. Um, yeah. So for people looking for, it is important to speak to professionals mm -hmm. that can understand the cultural competency and especially in something like psychology, um, have a frame of reference to understand the background, the stories and the culture of people who might be coming to them in order to help them better. The next topic that she has in the report, if you are ready, um, yep. is education. Um, which I will start by saying from the executive summary, I think the most jarring to me anecdote that is shared is um, an elementary school child that Manju speaks to 
who is not interested in going to school because they continue to be bullied. And then when asked about what at what point they would be ready, I might cry even saying the quote. But when they say, "When would you be ready to go back to school?" He says he never wants to go back. I'm gonna cry because, because it breaks it his, hurts soul. his soul. That's yeah. the saddest thing I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm literally crying. Um, it makes me sad because, like, 12 years ago, I was pushed into a wall and called a cotton picker. And how are we, how are we still here? And I know that we both personally have like know people and have dealt with situations where there are other kids and other ages who are coming forward and complaining about these things, instances with teachers, with staff, with students, and nothing gets done. Nothing gets escalated. Nothing gets talked about. And in all honesty, nothing gets talked about in media either. It's very, very frustrating. I know uh, that part was really painful. Um, we we haven't really we this, obviously the same parts of the report really spoke to us. Uh, I can see in a lot of ways uh, regarding education. Um, you know, you have a number of people that were talked to, um, children who and children who plan who are already in, in elementary school or junior high planning to leave New Brunswick as soon as they can yep. because they do not see themselves reflected in the culture. They do not see themselves reflecting reflected in the uh, education system, in literature, in books. Um, and it's painful. I, I can tell you that... Uh, most, if not all, of my own children have experienced racism in these schools, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of their age, regardless of the school. It's happened. Um, yeah. And really something that a great recommendation that came from this report is that a province-wide anti-racism policy is needed that is the same across the board, <laughs> that not mm-hmm. only says... Uh, you cannot be racist, but includes the exact steps, processes, and procedures to dealing with racist students um, so that there's an accountability for when mm-hmm. this happens. We all know about schoolyard bullying and, and meanness and stuff like that, which needs to be eradicated you know, across the board. Uh, teachers and principals quite often don't have the tools, resources, or the desire to get involved in these things that these experiences that can traumatically affect people for life. Um, but a nation, a province-wide anti-racism policy is a step in the right direction. And I will add to that, um, as some people may know, because I think we've talked about it briefly before, in terms of education, not only racism in school, but in terms of Black education, Clinton and I have had the honor throughout the year um, of working on the um, a Black Histories continuum. It is based off of the Wabanaki one, which is mentioned in uh, Manju's report. Um, so something like that at least will be implemented moving forward, and we are really honored to be a, pa- a part of that. Um, so we do hope that that makes some changes. However, I will say we're, we're doing this with the English school district. I don't know where the French... Uh, stand. But I do know that last Black History Month, I was asked to provide content for a website that would encourage diversity, equity and inclusion training with staff. So I would harbor a guess that if we're only, you know, giving content to teachers to help them be less racist, I don't know if we're at a place where we're actually educating about Black histories yet. So my guess is that the French school district is behind on that. Um, But I am moved and excited to see 
that at least we're helping move that needle forward a little bit um, because it's it's so extremely important. Yeah, Black History Month. I as much as I hate to say it, in schools it's it's really a joke. It's Martin yeah. Luther King, Rosa Parks. Uh, I heard this one story of a kid. Was that was this in the report where a kid said for Black History Month their teacher just played rap music every morning? For like, yeah, that, that's not black. I mean, there is a context of recent Black history in that, but that is ridiculous that that was that teacher's uh, version of Black history. And I bet it was Eminem, but who knows? Um, I will say some good recommendations include mm-hmm. um, anti anti racism education for students at the new at New Brunswick universities who are in education programs, um, encouragement of non-white of hiring and in- increasing the number of non-white teachers, because there were definitely no black teachers at Harrison Triple High School when I went for four years. Um, I never saw anyone who looked like me in terms of in any of the staffing. Um, so I do agree that that is um, extremely important as well, on top of um, in- increasing the the knowledge um, of the racialized histories of a diverse amount of people, indigenous, black, newcomer countries, the whole world. Yep. Um, the next one we, we've, we've lumped into a bit of a grouping here. The next one in her report is actually specifically about international schools um, coming from post-secondary, but we also wanted to take a moment to also talk about some of the recommendations that are related to indigenous people um, and newcomers as well. Um, and this is the part where I will say that it was made clear um, the how these language barriers for international students, um, the racialization of them, um, and these things sort of impact them. And to your point before, if I would have, if I was my dad, who did come from an African country, to go to university at Université de Moncton, I don't know that after four years in New Brunswick in the 90s, I would have stayed to call that place home. And uh, spoiler alert, he didn't. Um, I can't imagine how weird and difficult that must have been. And so to your point about marketing, encouraging, you know, people to come and make New Brunswick home, I do imagine that there was a lot of shock culturally and non-culturally about seeing what New Brunswick is like that would make these international students not want to stay and cultivate and diversify this place. Yeah. Um, and to people who don't know, it's literally a job for some people. I know people, I know a person whose job it was to go to Middle Eastern um, countries and try to convince students to come to school here. And for every head that they got, they would get a hefty commission. I think it's in the $10,000 range. Like, it's literally treating people like commodities, like products. So say whatever you want, make the sale. Uh, They send people out to different countries in the world to try to convince them to come to UMB, for example. Um, It's a job. It's It's a hustle. And... The province makes a good amount of money. Uh, I don't know all the details of it. The people recruiting the people make a good amount of money. It's a well-paying job, and uh, yeah, it's 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 marketing. Um, but so you don't you know you don't get the actual information. You're not you're not bringing these people here for their benefit. You're bringing them here to make a buck. Um, I don't think you're. I don't think we're going to cover. Okay, so let's stay on newcomers and indigenous people. We made the conscious decision, even though I think about thirty-three percent of the recommendations focus on indigenous people, uh, which is not a bad thing because even though our podcast is called Black Atlantic, I think Hillary and I are very, very uh, 
strongly open to acknowledging that not open we strongly acknowledge that indigenous people have had it worse than any other culture in canada historically uh, and that really does need to change um it's rough for for newcomers uh, i don't know what else to say other than it's just they're they're being lied to mm -hmm. Um, to ping pong back and forth a little bit. So some of my favorite recommendations for international students are about, you know, allowing them to have jobs and to get financial supports while living here, because there are some weird policies and laws and rules around the money that our international students are allowed to make because they are not Canadian citizens, um, as well as some of the basic health care rights that they should be allowed to have without necessarily having a Medicare card. Um, in terms of the Indigenous, mm -hmm. yes, I will wholeheartedly agree. I believe and will say as a as my personal belief, the Indigenous people have completely had it worse than Black people in this country. Um, I do think, you know, Black people, were, we were fed, well, Canadians were fed the, the lie about the Underground Railroad and made it seem all nice and nice. But the way that we treat the Indigenous is um, deplorable and disgusting. Um, I will say in the news today... Um, that Manju has received some backlash for Recommendation 60, which is advocating for the renaming of the Sainter to the Wollustock St. John River. Um, she received criticism. It's in a CBC article. Um, sorry, I didn't even tell you before that I was going to say this, but I read the recommendation and just thought about it. Um, that Well, no, because I feel like you would have wanted to show the article like as a screen share. Oh, right. it's all good. I've read so many articles on this topic already. I know. Um, so, yeah, today, essentially, she received some backlash from um, an Indigenous chief saying that why have St. John still be in it at all? Why not just rename it the Willistic River? And she, yeah, her, her, she's quoted as saying, I really didn't give it that much thought, which is a mm. wild thing to, I think, admit, because you would hope um, you would give all of the things a lot of thought, um, though I can imagine that this is a long and arduous process to make this report. That's your job. That's what you were hired to do. Um, so you would yeah. think in in recommending the removal of racist names that encourage the colonization of this land, that you wouldn't sort of half keep the name in there to appease everybody that you would either double down on your decision and rename it entirely or, or not. Yeah, I don't want to speak for the commissioner at all but i get the impression she's exhausted right now yeah. <laughs> even just in saying a quote like that i get the impression she's exhausted uh, regardless of what people think of this report i think there was a lot put into it i think it was a lot of hard work i think she did get a big blowback from the indigenous community uh, and especially people like dr timothy christie who spoke to her before she started the report uh, said he did not like the method she was going to use said it needed to be more scientific and not anecdotal um mm -hmm. <clears throat> to which in an article she's i think that maybe not verbatim but Badum, but quoted as saying like no i think my method will work they hired me so i think they're going to take the recommendations i make and in an optimistic world i hope that's true too we know there's lots of reports that have never just sitting on the shelf collecting dust um but we'll see with this one i think we're i, I do believe we're running a little bit short on time i don't know if we're going to be talking about things like politics and, and public safety and stuff like that today i know we didn't make tickers for them um can i, I say that at this point, I have to edit it and re-upload it anyway. So the time now doesn't matter because I'm going to have to add it to every single thing. And we only have two left. What are the next What are the next topics? It's justice and public safety and media. 
Oh, okay. Um, well, I'll just quickly say about politics. Like, we need to allow permanent residents to vote. Yes. Permanent residents were allowed to vote. And then people put time, effort, and money in 1998 to pass a bill to say that they are no longer allowed to vote. These people don't matter. Let's take away their rights. New Brunswick did this. Uh, I'm not saying newly landed people to this province should vote. I'm not saying refugees, expats, immigrants who arrive here should be allowed to vote. But once you get that permanent resident status, uh, you are, you know, you are a permanent resident of this place. You should have your voice should matter. You should have a say. There's a lot. There's a lot in the politics, especially uh, things that we've talked about. Like we need to have people in politics that look like us, so that people believe that they can achieve these things too. Um, we have one mayor that is black. But uh, yeah, if do you have any comments on politics? Well, I wanted to go back to the indigenous because I wasn't done. Um, because uh, recommendation seventy three, it's okay. Um, I really wanted to highlight the fact that she does name New Brunswick as an abortion desert because that impacts yep. every single woman. But I appreciate her putting it under the indigenous because of the fact that they do need more health and clinical supports, especially living on reserves and sort of disjointed from, you know, bigger parts of where there's, um, you know, more dense population and the fact that that's difficult. Um, I don't really have something specifically about politics because we talked about that at the top, but in terms of justice and public safety, which is the next section, I would say I was not shocked, but still disgusted and disappointed at the anecdotes and quotes, basically <laughs> saying that, you know, we treat newcomers the same as white people in policing, like there's no disproportionate um, mistreatment of people within the within law. Ever since the murder of George Floyd, um, ever since that George Floyd thing, everyone is against the police. If a black man is breaking into an old lady's house, I'm not going to ask him about his father who went back to Africa. I'm going to arrest him. I didn't even know what that one was about, but go on. Well, that one just sounded to me like this person was trying to justify that no matter what, he would arrest the black person but not get in. But even in saying that, it sounds bad. <laughs> um, anywho, For sure. I do agree with the recommendation about a task force in dismantling the systemic racism in policing, um, making anti-racist and trauma-informed education mandatory. But I will say she rightly points out that the last two, like two of the last people at this point, two, the two last people in New Brunswick murdered by police were indigenous. Um, yep. And then she still didn't recommend a specific inquiry into systemic racism for the indigenous. Yes. So I do think that especially with injustice and public safety, and like you rightly pointed out, spending so much on the indigenous portion of the report, that is the one um, thing that, I mean, she's been criticized on the most and was missed. Yeah, and I think that has to do with what is his name, uh, but the gentleman that stepped down from the systemic Robert T. Burroughs. Yeah, I, I think this is where that really shines through the most. And, you know, she was blatant and, you know, pretty harsh uh, towards our, our own government at times, but really tiptoed around the subject of what Indigenous groups really want, and that is a public inquiry where people would have to testify under oath into systemic racism, mm -hmm. other than just collecting stories. 
Of course. Um, and the last the last recommendation that we'll we'll discuss because there is only one in this section of media, but I did think it was important to mention. Mm-hmm. The recommendation basically discusses the two cartoons that were released by media organizations in New Brunswick that they just sort of brushed it off and went, oops, sorry, we didn't think it was racist and we didn't mean to. Um, one that I think that you wrote a whole blog about, which is, um, wait, if you want to go ahead. I did? Yeah. Oh no! Sorry, uh, I would go ahead and right, sorry. I was going to say explain what the cartoon was, but it basically was the um, a Muslim man dragging. Oh, it looks like it looks like dragging a woman, and it being compared to caveman days um, from Acadie Nouvelle, which was um, it, it is just racist. Um, and so her recommendation is that provincial media should pu- public publicly publish annual reports of outlining how. Um, their efforts to challenge systemic racism. And I would like to use this moment to make a joke uh, in jest and in kindness that I'm happy that we get to be part of CBC's <laughs> reports on how they dismantle systemic racism since we get to be on it. But I do think that, you know, all media needs to be held accountable sincerely on how they do this and publicly release how they're, how they're doing this. Yeah, I really appreciate our ability to contribute to CBC. Um, However, I really liked the part about the media. One recommendation that's there that says that provincial media should publish an annual report outlining their efforts to challenge systemic racism. Because uh, it also says here, despite greater representation in national media, participants and organizations also spoke about stereotypes and omissions of pertinent stories. Now, I bring this up because you and myself have discussed the fact that while there is a lot more coverage and there is a lot more joy uh, stories about joy and accomplishments as well as stories of hardships oppression and racism taking place outside of new brunswick um when i do a scroll through any news organization um, and look for stories that relate to oppression hardship racism and things like that in new brunswick they are 100 non-existent mm-hmm. news media in new brunswick will not touch really anything that has to do with racism in this province is what i found disagree if you want but if you look through like published articles yeah there's stories of ways we could change positively but if something happens if someone is uh if a black child is being called the n-word in school and is being chased by bullies with knives and saying i'm going to kill you n-word uh you know that story is not going to make it into the paper if a black person is beaten brutally by police that story is not going to make it into the paper uh it's a subject that i find provincial media will not touch and we know most provincial media is owned by irvings but um well, they sold a lot of it to post media, but they're also conservative and white. So same diff, but go on. I'm done. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, media could do more to highlight local stories and try to affect change in that way. And if they were, I don't think it's going to happen if they were, if they were required to publish uh, an annual report. Yeah, I'm, I, I might get slayed for saying this. <laughs> I might not get called again. But uh, yeah, I scroll through all the articles. I like all the work you did was amazing. It was highlighting black businesses and their stories. Uh, and if you haven't seen that, check that out on CBC. Hillary did just finished a seven-part series. But when it comes to fighting against it in a way that may seem controversial to the general reader, those stories don't exist. 
I'm not going to disagree. What I will say is that my series is actually continuing into January. So it's no longer seven parts. It's going all the way until February. What I will say is something that I have said before at the risk of losing out on some opportunity is the fact that you and I get a lot of the opportunity because we are in media and we do this podcast and there are other black stories. We are not a monolith. There are also other just stories. I would love to hear about newcomer businesses that aren't black and and maybe I will pivot to doing that even though that is not my group of people. But I do think that there are so many people that just deserve to have their stories shared. Um that are every every race and color um and i would love to hear more voices like that um on yeah. all media platforms um, for sure so yeah for sure you know one thing that actually wasn't featured in this report at all um was i didn't recall reading much about the minorities and people of color that have existed in this province for over 200 years uh I didn't hear the stories really out of people from St. John. We heard, oh, sorry, indigenous communities who've been here forever, but we didn't yes. hear about like uh, groups of Asian people or groups of black, like St. John. We didn't hear much about the St. John communities and, and their plights and their struggles and stuff like that. Um, did you find you picked up anything like that? There was a lot about current day, but. Well, what I would say to that is that I just didn't notice anything that's region based. Like if you look in the appendix, we know people from St. John who have contributed and Fredericton and all over. So I would argue that it must be weighed. But I, 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 all of my anecdotes obviously come from Moncton because that's where I grew up and we didn't even have a car. So I had only been to Fredericton and St. John. I've only been to those two places once in my entire life, (laughs) which Mm. is funny, but I, I, I don't know how much there was an onus to um, presenting the history of black people in this report, even though it should be said that in, in dismantling systemic racism and working towards it, the history of this racism is as long as those people have been here, which is over the 200 years. But I didn't find anything specifically region-based other than saying urban, rural, and making sure that people have general access to everything based on like urbanity. But I mean, there could like, I'm not saying a a report on the current state of systemic racism in New Brunswick doesn't have to talk about the long history and maybe you could find it within the health section, but there was no context about how, uh, these generational experiences over time may be affecting the uh, the economic or the mental well-being of the people who are still here uh, and who have, through the bloodlines, been experiencing this thing and, and what could be done for them as a tar- type of recommendation. See, I think that the... I think that that would have had to have gone into the initial part where you're explaining systemic racism because at no point... Mm-hmm. Did she really ever contextualize the history as to why these people are facing this? It was all completely current. And so in doing that, like it in changing a lot of the in implementing a lot of the recommendations that are there as it is, it would help people who have had generations of disproportionate behavior because they are still suffering now as it is. And that hasn't changed. And that is the problem. So I think adding that context would have had to have gone way at the beginning um yeah and, and situate the entire like i think it could have bolstered the definition of systemic racism for those minorities i don't think it would necessarily change any of the recommendations well in nova scotia there are a number of programs geared specifically towards black people which 
many non-black people have gotten mm -hmm. angry about, but they are designed to address the generational wealth gap that exists from black people who have been there for centuries and have not been allowed to own homes, get good jobs, get access to good education or even transportation and how that affects them and how programs geared towards them kind of helps play the catch-up game to make up for for generations in the past in which they weren't able they weren't even allowed to get ahead like other cultures that lived within those same spaces and regions well maybe that was avoided because there is no section for black people <laughs> like it goes by but it by could be system policy like because if you think about it there isn't even a section necessarily about finances like there is nothing about about wealth or how we get our money it, there's nothing about banking or loans or anything like that right it goes education health justice and then the only people that are directly spoken to are international students and and the indigenous so i mean yep. great observation <clears throat> of that oversight i don't know where that could have gone in I don't know either, but I mean, <clears throat> I don't valid. want a section on black people. But however, when you comb through the media of all the coverage <clears throat> on this report, who has been interviewed? Mostly black people that have been in New Brunswick, whose families have been in New Brunswick. Mm -hmm. I'd say 100% black people whose families have been in New Brunswick for generations. And I, I will say briefly... I think a lot of the interviews that maybe could have been done with Indigenous people because they were so frustrated from the start, a mm. lot of them just walked away. I don't think that there was a, an, a, an absence of willingness. I think there was a general frustration. I think there was a lot of Black people. And and I would say it, it probably Not feels trusting. this yeah. Well, I was going to say I think it yeah. feels this way to me because we, we work in Black media. But I knew a lot of the list because because they also work in black organizations that are working to dismantle these same things. Um, yep. I, I know a lot about the newcomer organizations uh, or, or organizations mm -hmm. that support maybe all of those camps. Yep. So yes, I did feel to me like a lot of black people came forward to provide testimony. The indigenous did not trust, were frustrated, knew what was going to happen. And I agree with those choices, but yep. good observation. <laughs> Final thoughts. I don't think that a lot of these things are going to be implemented because of mm -hmm. the state of New Brunswick right now where it stands with so many other crises. I would love it if all 86 were. I don't think that that's going to happen. I love knowing that at least the Black History's Continuum will happen. And so we get one win. Um, I'm hopeful for New Brunswick. I am really counting down the days till this next election and i hope sincerely that the government changes and that that is at least a small a small step in a better direction but it still won't be a perfect direction because of politics um i would like to say i'm sorry manju varma <laughs> that i was so critical for these last two years because i really tried your best <laughs> and i think the report is great but I feel like I was very harsh throughout the year in terms of the outcome of this report. And I do think the report was validating. It reflected the needs of these communities, maybe not fully, but in a very large part. And I hope that something changes. Clinton. I don't think we were overly, overly harsh or critical of Manju, although we may have been at times. I think we were critical. I'm speaking on about myself. <laughs> on the result. Oh, you were a big critic. <laughs> I was very critical and I know I was on social media. Yeah. abstain yourself <laughs> <laughs> um, half a million dollars spent 
um, a good report came of it. We know many reports of the past sat on shelves and nothing was done about them. Um, the fact that this was the first government-funded report uh, meant that there was a lot more public media and attention given to it. Um, now, my hope is that this may encourage more people to look into the contents and context of this report than past reports, and it may open a lot of you know non-minority people's eyes to some of the real life um, challenges that minorities face. Um, there will be resistance, there will be hatred, there will be criticism, but it may open the eyes. Now, will the government take any of these recommendations seriously? I don't know. If they take X amount of recommendations seriously, and if anything in this report moves the bar a little bit, in the direction of equality in a way that helps future generations of people that grow up in New Brunswick uh, experience better equity and better equality, then that will at least have been something. Uh, there's a lot of ways to waste government tax dollars, but while we would like all the recommendations to be implemented, if enough are implemented that it makes a noticeable change in the future of New Brunswick, then I will say at least that is something. And with that, we got through a solid 53-minute report recording with no other glitches. Mm -hmm. We just had to be nice <clears throat> to Mandu. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to the end again, you're a real one. Thank you so much. We appreciate you so much. Uh, make sure, if you haven't already, to like our page black atlantic on any social check us out blackatlantic.ca sign up so you can get immediate drops i'm finding it really hard to talk with all these faces you're making so you can get immediate drops uh when new content blogs and everything like that comes out if you're listening to us on spotify or apple hit that follow button give us a rating uh, make some comments on our social media channels and i have no idea what my co-host hillary is doing here on the other screen i'm sure i'm about to find out but <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> we appreciate y'all. What are you doing? I didn't know where to find it. Thanks for listening. This is Cropperian Clinton Davis. Peace. Peace.